What is unique about a child with a spinal cord injury as compared to an adult? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special series on children's health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Randall Betts, professor of orthopedic surgery at Temple University School of Medicine and chief of staff and medical director of the Spinal Cord Injury Unit at Shriners Hospitals for Children in Philadelphia. Welcome, Dr. Betts. Thanks for the opportunity. Today we are discussing spinal cord injuries in children. Well, Dr. Betts, how common are spinal cord injuries in children? They're actually, fortunately, very rare. In the United States, there's probably only 500 new cases of spinal cord injury in the entire country per year. Why is that? Probably because the child's spine is more flexible and it's able to tolerate a little bit more flexion and stretching than an adult spine does with you know, significant trauma. Well, what are the spinal cord injuries that you do see in children? We see two types. We do see patients that have obvious spine fractures on x-ray where the spine most time in children is actually dislocated and then has to be relocated. There's the other type that we see is called squiora, which is S-C-I-W-O-R-A, which stands for spinal cord injury without radiographic abnormality. Now, what does that exactly mean? So what happens is there may be an auto accident and the child's neck is flexed severely and it's stretches further than the spinal cord will allow, and the spinal cord tears, and either the discs and the ligaments stretch enough that they don't even disrupt, and so on x-ray you don't see a dislocation, or just because of the amount of cartilage in the spine, it kind of relocates itself, but you can't see any damage on the x-ray, which is very different than adults, where you 99% of the time see the damage level on the x-ray. Why is this different in adults? We think it's because their spine is so elastic that it can stretch a long way, but the spinal cord has reached its maximum length at age two. And so it doesn't, it's tethered and doesn't stretch as much as the spinal column. Well, what makes you suspicious that there's a spinal cord injury when you get your films of the child in a trauma situation and you don't see anything? Generally, even a severely injured child, unless they're unconscious, will be moving around. They'll be moving their legs or their arms. So if you don't see movement, then you have to be suspicious that they have a spinal cord injury. If they're unconscious, any child in a motor in a motor vehicle accident unconscious is assumed to have a spinal cord injury until it's proven otherwise. So they most all get then an MRI scan of, of the spine. Are CT scans insufficient? Yes. So the CT scan is done immediately looking for head trauma, looking for chest trauma, cardiac, looking for intra-abdominal bleeding. But because many of these injuries have gone through the disc space, the plane of the CAT scan does not show any evidence of injury. So you absolutely then need to still be suspicious that the child has a spinal cord injury and get an MRI scan. Where it's really problematic is the child that has a so-called lap belt injury where they've flexed over a seat belt. They have a rupture of the entire retroperitoneum and intestines and are bleeding to death. They're rushed to surgery 
And if they're not careful how they're lifted on and off the OR table, uh, their spine is usually torn, and they can become paralyzed in the act of putting them on and off the OR table if it's not done carefully. Is that something that is pretty rare? It's actually not rare. So if a child has a history of a lap belt injury, then most of the series, 40% will be paralyzed. Are most Kiwara injuries mild, where they will resolve with time? Actually, most of the Squiora injuries are very severe. So in a brief study that we did at Shriners Hospital Spinal Cord Injury Unit, there were 70% of the patients with a Squiora were uh, had a complete injury, meaning they had no sensory and no motor function below the level of the injury. As compared to patients that had a radiographic finding, maybe only 50% of them were completely paralyzed. So in other words, these injuries that you have without radiologic findings initially are much more severe. That's correct. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special series on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, professor of surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and we are speaking with Dr. Randall Betts, professor of orthopedic surgery at Temple University School of Medicine and chief of staff and medical director of the Spinal Cord Injury Unit at Shriners Hospitals for Children in Philadelphia. Today we are discussing spinal cord injuries in children. Dr. Betts, what is the mechanism of injury for most spinal cord injuries in children? The most prevalent cause is still an automobile accident. The second is getting hit by a car. And third would be sports injuries. And when do you see these usually? I mean, these come in with, with their parents in the same car or uh, they're on a bicycle? Or what, what is the most frequent presentation? Both of those. The majority of the, the younger children under 15 Usually there is a history of the parents being involved in the auto accident. The worst is where one of the parents or both or, you know, a lot of the family members are killed. The other second leading cause is then hit by a car, either walking or on a bicycle. How do you treat a spinal cord injury in a child? It, when, we, when the child presents, the most important thing is to make sure they're medically stable, meaning make sure they're breathing, make sure their blood pressure is maintained, and their cardiac status is adequate. Many times they go into a bradycardia with a slow heart rate, and you need to make sure that that's treated with uh, appropriate medication. Then all the time you're stabilizing the child, then you're keeping them immobilized on a backboard, or if they've been transferred onto a, a hospital stretcher, then immobilizing their neck. And then they're quickly taken to CAT scan and then to MRI scan, and a diagnosis, if there is a spinal cord injury, is made. Generally in children, the spine is not dislocated. If it is dislocated, then the decision is made whether it can be done through traction, and in that case would put a halo ring on the child's head and put gentle traction till the spine relocated, or depending on the circumstances may be taken to the operating room to relocate the spine. Do you ever try to repair the spinal cord injury? I wish we could. Unfortunately, the spinal cord is almost like a jelly. So when it's disrupted, there's really nothing that can be repaired. So when we operate on them, we're generally doing two things. One, to decompress. So if there's any bony fragment or any pressure at all on the spinal cord, then that is removed. And then the second step, 
equally important is to stabilize it, which is now done with instrumentation so that there's no additional movement across the area. The other new thing about treatment that recently has come up is treatment with hypothermia. And this has been promoted and studied extensively by Dr. Dalton Dietrich at the Miami Project in at the University of Miami. The Miami Project is really the project to cure spinal, spinal cord paralysis. And they've done some work to show that controlled hypothermia, just lowering the temperature one to two degrees, can significantly neuroprotect spinal cord injured area. And in fact, that's what was done with this recent football player from Buffalo that was paralyzed on the field. They gave, uh, gave him hypothermia, and it's thought that that's one of the reasons that he may be getting recovery. Well, how long do they keep uh, the patients hypothermic? Recommended regimen is 48 to 72 hours, and it has to be done in an ICU setting. And about every eight hours, you warm them up to normal thermic uh, for about 30 minutes and then take them down to two degrees of centigrade lower than normal. And how is that done? Now there's sophisticated systems, so they put an intravenous catheter in a femoral vein, and it actually goes through a machine that actually regulates the temperature. So they're not being placed in ice? Not at all. When that was done, that's very dangerous because you generally lower the temperature too far, and then you set off other problems of hypothermia. So if you're going to do it, in the emergency situation, what was done for this football player, Buffalo, was given a cooled saline IV solution onto the way to the hospital, but then to maintain it, you really need a regulated system. Now, what was his injury? He had a cervical spine injury. It was pretty high. I think it was like C4. And how did he do? He apparently, from what I've been told, is getting significant recovery. And how do these kids do in general? The kids, actually, their injuries are a little bit more severe than adults. So either they don't get a spinal cord injury, or if they do get one, it's very severe. They Many of them are complete meaning no sensory or motor below the level of injury. Now, these children who have spinal cord injuries, is it common for these to be isolated injuries, or is it more common to have multi-system injuries? Well, certainly from the automobile accidents and the pedestrian being hit, they're usually multiple injuries. So 20% or better have fractures. About 20 to 30% will have internal abdominal injury rupture, such as spleen, liver, intestine, and... About 30% have a second spinal cord injury. So they may have one in the cervical spine and they may have one in the lumbar spine. And the real disaster is where the one down below is identified and the doctors that are taking care of the child don't realize that 30% will have another lesion and they start moving the child around in the neck and not realize there may have been a hidden lesion there. So should we be getting MRIs of the entire spine? I would. I would strongly recommend that. If the child has no neurologic dysfunction at all, can you be assured that they do not have an injury if your x-rays, initial x-rays, and CTs are fine? Yeah, so there are cases that of children that have been, say, hit by a car. And at the time, you know, in the street, you know, the parent or the person hit them or the reports that the child said they couldn't move, but by the time they're in the emergency room, they're now moving. So it's kind of a transient paralysis. And you look at them at x-ray, you look at them at MRI, and they're thought to be completely normal. So we still call that a squiora. And what we do is then protect that child in a neck brace. You assume it's probably the cervical spine. So you protect them with a neck brace for two 
weeks or so, then we have them come back to the office and we do flexion extension x-rays and make sure that there's no hidden instability that once the pain's gone away in the neck, then they start to move it. And if you see instability, then you generally operate on it and stabilize that instability. So if I understand you correctly, the decision for this is based purely on history. In that particular scenario. Now, if I... If it was a good, reliable history, and they said, no, this child was definitely paralyzed for like five minutes, then I would admit the child overnight and put them on steroids. But when you send them home, we'd still protect them in a neck brace. I want to thank Dr. Randall Betts, who has been our guest. We have been discussing spinal cord injuries in children. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special series on children's health on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.